All right. Good morning. Happy New Year, uh, 2024. Uh, we're going to be back in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 20, if you'll turn there. Uh, we've been going through this book, 28 chapters, uh, verse by verse for some time now. And this morning we've, we've come to chapter 20. And I want to talk this morning about Christian resolutions, Christian resolutions this morning. And now, you know, like kind of Christian resolutions, exclamation point or question mark, right? Like, what is a Christian resolution? And um, it just so happens this text really, really lines up great with that focus. And it's the, the first Sunday of the new year. And so, hey, here we are. Um, I thought I'd start with some funny New Year's resolutions just to get you thinking about your resolutions. Um, so here's some funny ones. Uh, perfect the art of pretending to listen during Zoom meetings. So that could be one for, for us this year. Um, limit your screen time to only eight hours of Netflix per day. So just start somewhere, you know. Um, master the art of a strategic bathroom break during a long meeting um, or during class when the lecture is boring. Uh, bring up your Enneagram number any chance you can and get friends <laughs> to want to find out your number. Um, resolve to perfect your ninja skills at stealth snack acquisition during class. Um, so, you know, you kind of see these are funny. Exercise, you're right to Taco Tuesday. Um, order every drink on the Starbucks menu. And then maybe some more serious ones, right? Like uh, read through the Bible in a year. Or um, be with God's people in worship. Or maybe even to physically uh, get in shape and just honor the Lord uh, with your physical life. But maybe it's also to be in community, to join a small group this year in 2024, to really do life with other followers of Christ. And I do want to, you know, we're going to get into Acts 20, but even there, I want to pause and just encourage you and remind you that our small groups, we call them fellowship groups, and they're starting back up next week. And so maybe this is a time for you to look on the website and think about where you can plug in to really start growing with other people. We have a new fellowship group that's starting on Sunday afternoons, and that might be good for your schedule. And so that's led by Dave and Jennifer Wagner. So I want to just encourage you to consider community uh, in your life this year. But, but, you know, Christian resolutions, Acts 20. So I want to take a look at this passage this morning, verses 1 through 16, and I think what we see in this passage, in fact, I know, is that these New Testament Christians were resolved. And as we look at the resolution in their life, perhaps we can draw from that some resolutions that would be Christian, that would be very honoring to the Lord for our lives. That's our hope this morning. So let me read to you Acts 20, verse 1 through 16, all right? Are you ready? It'll be on the screen, but I'd much rather you be looking down at God's word in your lap, okay? Acts 20, verses 1 through 16. So, and just a reminder, because uh, it's been a while since we were in Acts, you know, they were in the city of Ephesus, and there were riots that broke out, and then a magistrate in the city calmed the city down, and that's where we pick up in Acts 20. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months 
And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Get ready. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. (laughs) But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Verse 13, But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assas, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assas, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you for this dear passage of Scripture a lot of details about traveling to places that most of us have never been. And um, just it, it could feel, Lord, as we first read it, what, what does this passage have to say to us? And yet, God, I pray as we deeply study your word this morning, you would um, encourage us and challenge us to be a people that are resolved to follow Jesus with a faithful and obedient and strong discipleship this year. Oh, Lord, we lift up churches around our city, even one church I know of this morning starting, just launching their first service. God, we pray for churches and just works of your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the proclamation of your word this morning there and here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, um, Christian resolution. So the first one, the first one from verses one through three, okay, is encouragement. Encouragement. It's easy to see that this is being pointed out in these verses. The word encouragement is in this passage three times, two times in verses one through three. You see, um, it Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, goes out of his way to point out this priority of encouragement. Verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and do you see? And after encouraging them. So there's a sense here, you almost get the picture. Paul's leaving. Here he's been for a season and pouring into some people in Ephesus for a long time. 
And now he's leaving. And so he pulls the disciples together, probably the last time he'll see them. In our passage next week, he will see the elders of Ephesus. They will meet him somewhere, but he may not ever return to Ephesus. And so these are his final words, his encouragement to them. The word encourage literally in the Greek is parakaleo. It means that preposition para means to come alongside or to be beside someone. With the word kaleo meaning to call or to summon you know, so the idea in definition form is to urge strongly, to come alongside in appeal, to exhort, to encourage. This is a very important concept in the Bible and in the Christian life, to encourage. This is what Paul is doing. This is what we need to be doing. I'll give you some examples. Just I was just looking in Scripture, this important theme. In Acts 14, earlier in Acts, it says that they went and they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Another example from scripture, you know, Paul talks to the Colossians and he says that he's sending, one of the guys actually listed in this passage, he's sending Tychicus to Colossae and he says in Colossians 4, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may, listen, encourage your hearts. The importance of encouragement. Another place, Paul sends Timothy to Thessalonica, and he says of that situation in 1 Thessalonians 3, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel, to establish and encourage or exhort you in your faith. You see a theme here, encouragement. This is a big theme. Hebrews 10, 25. You've perhaps heard this verse before. We will not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but here it is, encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. So hopefully you have fixed in your mind this idea of encouragement and you have the idea with that that God cares a lot about it and that it's important for the Christian life. Encouragement is vital. No one has ever received too much encouragement. Flattery says, you're awesome. Encouragement says, God is awesome. And he's watching out for you, and you can trust in him. Sometimes it's hard to be an encourager, perhaps because we don't feel encouraged. That's real. Sometimes it's hard to ask for the encouragement that we need. It takes humility. You've heard the story of the little boy who said to his father, let's play darts. I'll throw the darts and you just say, wonderful. (laughs) You know, like we need that type of mindset sometimes. I need you to encourage me. I need encouragement. Dan Rather, who worked for a long time for CBS, he talked about the sport of boxing. He boxed in high school just a little bit. He said he was never good at it. He, I, I got this from Reader's Digest. He said, you know, he said, and I quote, in boxing, you're on your own. There's no place to hide. At the end of the match, only the boxer has his hands up. That's it. He has no one to credit or blame except himself. And, and he goes on and he talks about his coach in high school 
whose main goal was to teach his boxers to be get-up fighters. And he, he explains this. He says, if you're in the ring just once in your life, completely on your own, and you get knocked down, but you get back up again, it's a never-to-be-forgotten experience. Your sense of achievement is distinct and unique. And sometimes the only thing making you get up is someone in your corner yelling and encouraging you. The importance of encouragement. In the Old Testament, there's this very famous moment where David is hiding in a cave and Saul is seeking to kill David because Saul is jealous. He knows that David eventually will be king. And Saul's son, Jonathan, David's best friend, goes and finds him. And it says in 1 Samuel, he strengthened his hand in God. That is the kind of encouragement. And so as a resolution for a New Testament Christian, I would submit to you this first one, and that is encouragement. Ask yourself, who will I encourage? Who will I ask to encourage me? Encouragement. The second one is team. The second one is team, or you might say community, but we'll say team. Verses four through six. So look at verse four. It says, Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus and Gaius and Derbe, there's all these names. There's all these names, and, and this is relevant. Why? Why is this here? Why, why is this recorded here? So that we can see Paul, he, he lived and operated in a team. And, and we need community. We need a team. I'll show you the map, just a picture on a map of where these different characters are from. At, at the moment, you know, they're sort of in, they're, they're actually going all over the place in these verses. You saw how they're just traveling around. Ultimately, we'll end up at Troas which is where the big story happens of the guy falling out the window. But you can just see in this map, here's where all of these people that are listed off came from. Sopater, he's from Berea. Aristarchus and Secundus are from Thessalonica. Gaius from Derby. Timothy's from Lystra, which is right next to Derby. Some of these are from small towns. Some of these from major cities. Some of these are highly educated people. Some are not. Tychicus and Trophimus are from Asia. They're probably from Ephesus. Now, also, we have an eighth person in this story. There are seven names listed. And then there's an eighth person because someone's writing this, and, he, and the person that's writing this keeps saying, we. Who is that? That's Luke. So Luke, and he's probably from Troas. And then we have, of course, Paul, who's from Tarsus. So there's this entire team, this entire entourage. And I think it's just helpful if we consider that for a moment. And think about how the team lived the gospel community and the Christian unity that they preached. They, that Paul and his group, they lived out that which they were teaching and encouraging and commending others to live out. Another thing I think worth observing here is you think about all these, these men who became followers of Christ, 
in this particular story. And now they're not just followers of Christ. They're not just disciples, but they're what? Disciple makers. They didn't just, you know, become a Christian and then say, see you later, Paul. No, some of them went with him and became disciple makers. That's instructive. That's inspiring. The importance of team, the importance of community. Consider it. Famous author and, yeah, farmer, Wendell Berry, and novelist. He says this of this one experience he had in his life. He was talking about the perils of individualism. And he was walking with his friend, also a very well-known agriculturist and farmer, Wes Jackson. They were walking, and they observed a plot of Maximilian sunflowers, a nearly 10-foot-tall sunflower plant. And this is a native plant to the Midwest in America. And Wes Jackson, his friend, pointed to one that was off by itself and was growing alone, which was disconnected from the community of the sunflowers, yet was very tall and impressive. And Wendell Berry observed that although this solo, individualistic plant had grown very tall, it was clearly not healthy. The blossoms were thick and heavy, so heavy that the branches were starting to strain and break under the weight. Barry noted that in one sense, the plant had succeeded, success, as a solo plant. After all, it was growing and it was unusually tall. But unfortunately, it had completely failed. Listen, its intended purpose as a Maximilian sunflower. These plants only thrive and give life as they grow in community, not in isolation. And so he concluded, we could say that achieving success solely or as an individual was the plant's failure. It had failed because it had lived outside an important part of its very definition, which consists of individuality and community. And so you can see how this applies. You know, the first thing that God says is not good in the Bible. He says on the first day he created light. It was good. It was good. It was good. He creates man and woman in his image. He says it's very good. First thing God says is not good is Genesis 2. It's not good that man should be alone. And we see in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's God's desire and design for us. Community, to be on a team. John Stott says, Paul hardly ever traveled alone. And when he was alone, he expressed his longing for human companionship. He never saw it as ideal. 2 Timothy 4, in that chapter, twice he tells Timothy, do your best to come to me. Resolutions of a New Testament Christian, number one, encouragement. Number two, team. And so ask, who is my team? Who is my community? Number three, verses 7 through 12, Sundays. 
Sundays. Or you might say, get the gathered worship of believers. And so these are New Testament resolutions, right? So look at verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked uh, with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. I'll stop there and just say, um, this is the first time in the New Testament where it's recorded that the church is meeting on a Sunday. All right, this is it right here. It says on the first day of the week. And that is a big deal because the people of God, that being the Jews, had met on the Sabbath for thousands of years. And now there's this shift to meeting not on the Sabbath, but on the first day of the week to honor what? To honor the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here they're meeting on the first day of the week. And it's interesting how Paul Paul walks in to Troas. And he doesn't ring a church bell and say, where are you guys? Why aren't y'all meeting? It's, I'm Paul. It's Sunday. No, they're, they're already meeting. They're having a meeting. Paul joins it because it's a discipline, a habit in their life to gather with God's people on the first day, on Sunday, to worship the Lord. It says they were gathering to break bread. And we can see that they were taking in teaching from the Apostle Paul. So really, our application would be taking in the teaching of the Word of God. Breaking bread could refer to just fellowship or could and likely refer to having communion together, which we're doing this morning. So let me keep reading. So so verse 7 I've read. Now verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking up him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. So so just, again, the point here, this resolution is Sundays, the the worship of God's people together, a resolution in our lives. Now, this is happening. We're in the city of Troas, a coastal city here. That's where they are. It was a Sunday. It seems to have been a Sunday evening gathering. And so if we were going to, like, look at this and say, let's copy this exactly because it's in the Bible, then we would be not biblical right now, right, because we're meeting on Sunday morning. Um, so this, this passage is not intended to be in every way perfectly copied because it's in Acts, right? And in Acts, it's a description of what did happen. It's not necessarily a prescription of what should happen all the time in all believers' lives. But we can just look at what they were doing, though, and still be encouraged. It seems like it was a Sunday evening gathering. It seemed that they were meeting in someone's home on the third floor. Um, they were taking in teaching, lots of it, right? They were there for a long time. They were breaking bread. Sorry, there's no singing mentioned. I'm sorry, Josh. There's no singing mentioned. Um, and again, you know, we, we're not to take things necessarily from all of this stuff. 
Um, the middle schoolers were in the adult service. I'm sorry, guys. They were. They were. They weren't in the youth room playing ping pong. They were in. They were there because this young guy probably was middle school age. And, um, you know, so what else can we take from it? It says in verse 8, there were many lamps. Why is that there? Uh, well, it was nighttime, so they needed light. Um, maybe that is verse 8 telling us what made this young man so sleepy. Uh, we don't really know. I mean, it was oily and hot in the room. And so he went over by the window to get some fresh air. This man's name is Eutychus. That name literally means lucky. It's what it means. The Bible has a sense of humor um, because lucky was not so lucky, right? And, and he was probably based on the words chosen by Luke anywhere from age 9 to even it could have been 30. But most likely 9 to 14 is what we would probably think, especially since Paul picks him up. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about this. So he succumbed to deep sleep, and he fell out of the window, and he died. And Luke even points out that the sermon was getting longer when this happened. It's an amazing story, really. Um, Luke is a medical doctor. That's his background. It's before he was a disciple and writing this book of Acts. And so this is with accuracy. He's saying he was dead. He was dead. Paul bent over. So Paul kind of calls a timeout on the message. They all probably rushed downstairs. This young man's parents probably there. Paul goes down there. It says that he bent over him. And um, I, I don't. What, what was he doing? CPR maybe? Praying for him? Just grieving? Oh Lord. Writing an incident report for the children's ministry? We, we don't know, but he was down there, and he bent over him. And we see that Paul says his life is still in him. And we have every reason to interpret this as a powerful miracle. I wouldn't call it a resurrection, because a resurrection is defeating death not to die again. That's what Jesus did but a resuscitation, raised to life to die again later. And this young man, Lucky, or Eutychus, is resuscitated. And what are we to take from that? Well, well, it's actually not that complicated. As with every powerful miracle in the Bible, when the prophet does a powerful miracle, you pay attention to what the prophet is saying because he's a true prophet. That's it. That's a simple message. This powerful miracle, like in other places where God was powerfully at work through the hands of Paul, it's God doing the miracle, but through the hands of Paul here, serves to effectively authenticate, stamp with approval, the teaching of Paul, the Bible for us. Now, isn't it amazing how they then go back upstairs and just continue in the word. I mean, do you see that? It's like embarrassing how devoted they are to studying God's word. They're like, all right, he's good. Let's go back upstairs. Same seats, everybody. 
And they go back up there, and they keep studying the word until sunrise, it says. So Monday morning. It reminds us of the church in Jerusalem. Now we're in Troas, a Gentile city, but in Jerusalem, in Acts 2.42, we saw where it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Stop there. So think about it. Please see what Acts is showing you in these verses. The early church had a habit of gathering for worship. They broke bread, fellowship together, communion. They committed long hours to listening to biblical teaching. Youth were there. Not an excuse not to be there. They did not have ideal meeting space. Temperature was not good. People were passing out. Lighting was bad. You had to bring your own. But they showed up. And God worked. And they were not a little comforted and encouraged, it says. And so, again, resolutions, Sundays, the gathering of God's people. And listen, hear me. There's no legalism in in what I'm saying here. It's okay to take a break from formally attending a church service on some particular Sunday. Of course that's all right. Life will demand that at times. However, let's make a resolution in our lives to have a habit of being with God's people on Sundays. Think of it. America is not a Christian nation, okay? I mean, it's a great nation. I'm not getting bashing our country. Raleigh is not the Bible Belt anymore. No one's going to protect and guard your Sunday except for you and Chick-fil-A, all right? No one. No one's going to respect and protect Sundays with God's people except for you and your family. The NFL won't do it. Youth sports won't do it. The requirement of a two-night rental with Airbnb won't do it. It's not going to happen. Being committed to Sundays is something we have to do as God's people for our growth, for our family. And one other thing on this, this, this point here, and I just, I just want to bring this out. There's a contrast in this passage that I feel the Lord gave to me as I was studying. And it's just a question of, as you look at the seven men with Paul and this one young man who cannot stay awake, I just think it's important to ask the question, which young man are you going to be? What kind of men does the church need? Eutychus, who God loves and even miraculously resuscitated and probably became a great leader. We're not going to bash him. He's been through enough. But what about these other men? Young men. Timothy was very young. 
who were on mission for the Lord, who were making disciples, who were being intentional with their lives, who were traveling the known world to take the gospel to places where it had not been. Will you be a Timothy or a Eutychus? Will you be a Trophimus or a Eutychus? Will you be alert or will you be asleep? Will you be leaning in or dozing off in the back about to fall out of the church? So resolutions of a New Testament Christian. Encouragement, team, Sundays. Now the fourth one is quick. And I want to tell you why it's quick. This is going to be fun for us, okay? The fourth one is outreach. Let me read you the verses, and then I'll tell you. Verse 13 through 16. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assas, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assas, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided, look at verse 16. This is a funny verse, actually. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. Look, look at that verse, verse 16. That is the biblical warrant for walking around someone that you don't want to talk to. You know what I mean? That's a really amazing verse. It really is. Um, you know, so that can be good. But all right, here's the, here's the thing with this fourth resolution. Um, I'll put the map up. I want to show on the, the map here. So here's the places that verse 13 through 16 is detailing. And as I was studying it this week, I was just overcome with the power of this fourth point, okay? Um, because I was seeing, like, look at all these stops. Look at these little stops that Paul makes as he's going where he's going. And actually it says in verse 16 that he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. So he's not like... He's not just drifting, right? He's in a hurry to get somewhere, but he still makes all of these stops. I was thinking, wow. I started researching it, and I realized that, that um, Chios is the birthplace of Homer, the, the, the writer of the Iliad. And then I realized that Samos is the birthplace of Pythagoras, or whatever his name is, the, the, the mathematician. And I was like, man, the, Paul went to these islands these strategic places, and he stopped, deboarded, shared the gospel. Even though he was in a hurry, he still made plans and made time for what? For outreach. I was like, this is awesome. This is going to be the final point, the powerful point. And I even had a cross-reference. Let me show it to you. John 4, where it talks about Jesus. It says, he, he left Judea and departed again. And it says, he had to pass through Samaria. And sometimes as pastors, we preach this passage and we say he didn't have to, but he had to because he was going to share the gospel with the woman at the well. And Jesus always made time for outreach. And so he had to pass through Samaria. We were going to look at, back at this passage and we were going to say, look at Paul, just like Christ. He had to stop at each and every little island, share the gospel. So anyways, uh, that was going to be the point. And I was in the back of my mind as I was getting ready for this, even making the slides, even with the cross-reference slide, I, I knew in the back of my mind, Luke did not explicitly tell us in these verses 
that Paul deboarded the ship at each of these small islands with the purpose of outreach. So it might be a stretch. I knew that. But I planned on reading some commentaries to sort of solidify my point. And I was thinking, so, you know, I don't want to go too far with it. I never want to do that. Um, So I continued on with the point. And, um, you know, the point was going to be this. Like, we need to be people in the new year with resolutions and plans, but our plans need to make time for outreach. Look at Paul stopping at every island. And listen, I'm telling you, I could have made that point. And I think a lot of us would have been like, that was a good point. <laughs> That's true, you know. And, and I was just wrestling with it, though. So then, listen, I read, I read a commentary, and, and my, my fear came true. This, this, this writer said, you know, the reason that Paul stopped at all these islands, the reason is the wind. I was like, wait, what's, wait, hold on. Yeah, in the Aegean Sea, the wind only blows in the mornings during this time of year, and so you can only go so far. And you had to sort of find a harbor, stop, stay the night, and then hit it again. And I'm like, no, this is not, this is not the point I'm trying to make. And, and then I read this commentary, and this person said this, so I'm like, let me consult a second opinion because that person could be wrong, and I know what I'm talking about, so just one-on-ones doesn't settle it. Let me find a second one. So then this Dr. Ben Witherington says, the normal method of sailing a small craft in this era was to hug the coast and put into a port at night when the winds died down. He said that explaining what was happening here. And I was just like, man, oh, no. There went that point. And so I want to put that point up for you and what I would like for you to do with it, which is to cross it out. Um, And we can just cross that one out, you know, because it was going to be good and now it's not good. Um, It doesn't fit here. And I can't make that point, even though I want to, from these verses to the people at Fellowship Raleigh who are a sharp people who love the word of God and who would ask. And we have to be careful with God's word that we say only what it says. And so hear me on this. There are a hundred verses in the Bible that we could make the point to plan your life out and make time for outreach. All right? It's a biblical thing. It's just not in these verses. And so we can cross off that resolution and we can just double down on the first three. All right? Amen? And we will. Double down. Be resolved. And really, like, let's review them. Resolutions of a New Testament Christian, encouragement, team, Sundays. One thing that's so fascinating about what's happening in Acts is it's very similar to what was happening in Luke. At almost parallel, at about this time in the life and ministry of Jesus, he's with all of his disciples and Luke starts naming all of them. And then, just like Luke is doing with the people who are companions of Paul. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke says of Jesus, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. King James says he turned his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Resolve. Resolution. 
And it's really interesting if you think about it. We see Luke almost doing this poetic parallel with the life of Paul. Paul's going to Jerusalem. He's determined. He's resolved. And it would not be a stretch to say this. Listen, Jesus was absolutely resolved about going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And because of that, we as his followers, Paul and you and me included, are resolved in our lives too to follow him, to walk his path, and to be Christians who are totally and absolutely resolved about the things of God. And so that is my prayer that we would apply this passage in that way this morning. Encouragement. Sundays. Let's pray. I'm going to close in prayer.